0: Turn to, I don't know where you guys want to go today. Luke, all right, that, that works for me. Leviticus, Leviticus. <laughs> lamentations, woo! I just opened the can, didn't I? All right, yeah. Turn to Luke chapter five. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to read you. Uh, I want to read you something. And the, the the title of this this little uh, article here is "What Kind of Sinners in Church." That's a question. What kind of sinners in church? The church of which Mr. Samuel Colgate, the great American businessman, was a member, entered into an agreement to make special prayer for the conversion of sinners. And for some days, they prayed earnestly. One day, applicants for church membership were invited to present themselves. A woman came forward, heartbroken, She told her story of what a sinner she had been and how God had forgiven her for Christ's sake. And she wished to slip into the corner of the church and have fellowship of God's people as she made the start for heaven. The silence was oppressive. Then a member arose and moved that action on the application be postponed. Mr. Colgate arose and said in substance... I guess we made a blunder when we asked the Lord to save sinners. We did not specify what kind. I think that we better ask, or we better all ask God to forgive us for not specifying what kind of sinner we want saved. He probably did not understand what we wanted. They all saw the point. The woman was received into fellowship. I like that that little illustration. I like that little story there because um, so many times we have a uh, we can kind of get into the, this church mindset, and these are the types of people in which god's going to save, and these are the types of people in which these people really need Jesus. It, it, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have thought that at least once? Oh, okay, get off of my feet everybody i've already, ha- I've already been ridiculed enough about wearing flip flops in church so but how many of you Jesus sandals there you go Jesus wore flip-flops so, so am I um no Jesus wore a dress too but I'm not gonna do that uh <laughs> we'll set these off to the side um so but think about this for a second J- just think about this how many of you have made that type of uh what's that called a stereotype in, in, in your head where you're you are you um, are thinking well this person really needs Jesus have you seen the way in which they live well, I, I get it. I've been there myself. But there's uh, there's people who come to Jesus that, that need him uh, even more uh, than the people that we think that, that need him even more. Uh, and we're going to kind of look at an, the same group that we talked a little bit about last week, these religious people, um, and, and see how they react to something along these same sorts of when Jesus uh, welcomes these outcasts um, into his um, uh, into his group. So, you know, this is not the, the, the main purpose of today, but I, I think that if we don't address it right off the bat, it may kind of just slip away. So just remember, just because you think somebody needs Jesus doesn't mean that Jesus thinks somebody needs Jesus. But, and hear me, everybody hear me. Everybody needs Jesus, everybody. So there's not somebody who needs him more than, 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 than others. So if you're saying, yes, this person really does, well, I think you need to look at this person, point your thumbs to you and say, you really do too. So with that, let's jump into Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we're going to pick up um, in verse 27. Uh, In in verse 27, uh, we um, are going to see an addition... We're going to see an addition to, to Jesus's, I don't know, I like to call it his posse, right, his, his disciples. We're going to see this addition, and this addition to his disciples is so bizarre to the culture to, uh, around them that, that, that people just don't know how to handle it. And it's really, that that's kind of one of those times where we can get sucked in or we should get sucked in to where when somebody comes to Christ, we need to say, wow, and not worry about, well, do they deserve it or do they not deserve it? Or should they be here or should they not be here? Just accept that God loved them and reached out and grabbed them and now they're here. So what are we going to do? We're not going to grumble about it. Some people do, like we're going to see here. So, um, verse 27, chapter 5, it says, after this, after what? What just happened last week? Well, right, not really last week, just in the same, but what we talked about last week, the paralyzed man was, was raised. But what was significant about that? What was the significant part that we, we pointed out uh, when it talked about the groups of people that were there? We were t- the heart condition, there was a heart condition going on. There, there was this, people were seeking after Jesus, but there was a people that were seeking after Jesus for restoration, and there was a people that were seeking after Jesus for preservation, and we know that those are people who, who sought after Jesus were for, for preservation were the, the religious type. These were the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, and, and what we're going to say, or we're going to see even more, is they have this kind of mental concept of who should be accepted into the kingdom of God and who should not be accepted into the kingdom of God. What we did see is that Jesus was more interested in the heart condition um, than he was the physical condition. Did he take care of the physical condition? Absolutely, he did, but he went straight for the heart first, and I think that with that groundwork laid, that we can look at the mindset of Christ as the focus, is the laser point on the heart, it helps us understand this story, um, this account, a little bit better. So it says in verse 27, and after this, so after the man, he said, you know, peace outside our crowd, he picks up his bed, and he goes out, he says, after this, he, who's he? Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Okay, so this is not the IRS man. All right, I think it is noteworthy of just explaining just briefly the understanding of these tax collectors, because what happens is we hear this, and we see that the tax collectors are going to be grouped in the same group of sinners, and then these sinners, we're thinking, well, everybody is a sinner, but yes, but not with this type of identity, this group of, of tax collectors that, that, are, um, that, that are here, and the, the, the tax collectors in, in this time, were not just merely IRS agents collecting the, the federal taxes um, so that the government can, can operate and everything. Uh, the, the, the tax collectors of the, this time were, um, they were really subclassed Jews. And when I say subclass Jews, they were lower class Jews, and not because that they had less money, but because they had less social status, because the rest of the Jewish people hated them. And I get it. You're saying, okay, wait a second. You're still talking about the IRS people here. No, I'm not, because what it took to be a tax collector in this time was basically betraying your people and working for the enemy. Because what we understand at this time is the Roman government was oppressing the Jewish people. And what these tax collectors were doing was that they were gathering money from their own people to give to the Roman government. So then they can in turn oppress the Jewish people. So do you see that there's, it's a little bit different than what we have with our, our IRS agents today? Really? Like, <laughs> like politicians. <laughs> All right, we'll edit that out. But um, no, you're right. So, but there, there is, there is a, um, there's an actual hate that, that is uh, present between the normal Jewish people and the, the tax collectors. And then there's even an escalated hate from the religious Jewish people to the tax collectors because they don't just uh, refer to them as uh, those who betrayed the, the other people. They, they refer to them as sinners, sinners being um, uh, the, the, the worst enemies of God. So th- this understanding, helped, I believe, helps us to, get to, to lay this groundwork a little bit better so we can see the magnitude of, the, of what's going on here. Because it says that, that, that when Jesus went out, he saw this tax collector. He saw the, 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 the most despised of Israel. Think about this. Hold on. The Samaritans, uh, the, the, those of Samaria were, were um, viewed as, as sinners. So they're classifying tax collectors that are, um, by their heritage and their ethnicity, are, are still Jewish. But they're saying, no, they're as, we're, they're as bad as those people over there. This is despisable. Jesus walking out, he sees these people that are outcasts. Think about that for a second. We kind of, um, we kind of chuckle at being the black sheep of the family. Some of you may be. I know, I mean, I do. That I'm the black sheep of the family. Fine, okay. But to be the black sheep, the outcast of a family that this whole society was built upon has a lot more impact. Uh, understanding that, that um, the, the, the Jewish uh, culture uh, revolved around uh, religion, and understanding that these outcasts were never allowed to to go into the temple and to worship in the temple, there was a, a huge divide here. Now, we see this, and we can say, okay, get past this. All right, I'm going to in a second. But what we can see is this outcast, this outcast, if you want to relate to somebody, is us. That, that, that's us. Because none of us are deserving of God's love, but that doesn't minimize his love that he sheds or he pours out for us or to us. This is going to become into huge play here in a second. So when Jesus comes by, he says to this man, this tax collector, this outcast, this, this despicable guy who was sitting at the tax booth, Sitting there at the tax booth, people are coming up paying their taxes, he's sitting there and Jesus says to him, follow me. Two of the most important words in all of scripture, Uh, this kind of is one of those times where we can look at those two words and we could go on for days days and days and days and days and days about what does that mean, follow me. But let's just focus on the, the words in which Jesus said. He just said, follow me. He didn't say abracadabra, and he didn't uh, make the, te- the table levitate. He didn't make all of his uh, coins and all the taxes uh, all automatically multiply. He said two simple words, follow me. And what was the response of Levi? It says, in leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Let's talk real quick, because we... we uh, Um, A few weeks ago, we we talked uh, about another group of individuals that did uh, very much the same thing. We talked about these fishermen. These fishermen who, um, when uh, Jesus went to them by the sea and he, he spoke and they heard and then he said, put out into the deep and we're going to catch some fish. They caught fish and then they fall down and they, 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 they uh, proclaim him as Lord and then he says, no longer will you be going after fish, you're going to be going after, after people. And it says that they left everything and followed him as well. So what we have is we have a a group of fishermen that are following after Jesus. Now we have this tax collector that he says the same thing to. He says, follow me. And it says he left everything and is following after Jesus. I think it's interesting, and I think it's worth noting here, that um, there is a, a huge difference of the fishermen not minimizing not minimizing them leaving everything, but there's a huge difference of what they, their actions and the actions of the tax collector. The, the, the huge difference is when times got tough, the fishermen could go back and fish. And we even see that after uh, Jesus is uh, murdered on the cross. Even after his, his resurrection, we see that the fishermen are back out fishing. He actually goes to the sea and calls them back in but what we have to understand is the tax collector could never go back to be a tax collector. It's something when he left that booth, he could never go back to doing that. So is there a greater sacrifice here? If you want to, if you want to compare, I would say that there is. And I would say that this greater sacrifice it gives us a better distinction of the difference between death and life because you can never go back to the old you. You You can never go back to, once you become a a child of God, once you have been transferred from the kingdom, uh, uh, the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, you can never go back. God won't let you. You can never go back to the old ways in which you were. Now, can you act back that way? You can try to. We'll, We'll discuss that in a second. But you can never become... Unalive again you can never become dead again here when we see this we see these two individuals and we see that they both left everything what is everything and that was that was a question in which I had as I'm going through this what is everything because look look here in as we read on verse 29. And Levi, and for a side note, uh, Levi, Matthew, same dude, okay? So when you're reading through Matthew, Matthew and Levi, same guy. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. So we can see real quick. Levi was not just your average guy. He did have some wealth to him because it said that he made a great feast. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So hear me on this. When it says he left everything, when he left everything, where does, where's the very next sentence? Where does it say he's at? His house. So, so when I when I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, okay, because I, I think that a, a lot of people get this understanding, like I've got to give up all of what I have, all my worldly possessions, and everything that I, I own to follow after Jesus, because that's what it, it says. Uh, you know, I, that, that they left the disciples, they left everything, and they went after him. Well, we know not only from this account, but we know that even Peter still had a house because his uh, sick mother-in-law was, was in, in his house. But we know that when this, everything is not every material possession. Now, I want to caution us. That doesn't mean, okay, whew, I can keep all my toys and I can do everything. I, I, here, here's what I'm going to say. When the Bible talks about this, when Jesus uh, is making clear and when the, the, the gospel writer here is saying that they left everything, what they are, are, are referring to is they left everything that identified them from the past. They left everything that identified them from the past. So when they left the, the, when he left the tax collector booth, what he was doing was he was leaving his identity of who he was and moving on to who he is in Christ, because it says, and I love this, because it says then that this understanding of that we don't have to give everything away, but we can levy what God has given us to use and to be good stewards of, to proclaim his gospel and to spread his word, to take those people that are around us and provide for them so we have the opportunity to impact their lives. Take what God has given you. If God has blessed you with wealth, awesome use it for his glory. If God has blessed you with a talent, awesome. Use it for his glory. If God has blessed you with time, again, use it for his glory. Think about that. Just in your mind, whatever it is you can say that you have, or well, you can end that, that statement of I have this, okay, use it for his glory, whatever it is. And I think that's a clear indication of this right here. It's not that God wants you to be broke and he wants you to be poor. No, he wants you to be good stewards of what he's given you. Because elsewhere, and we'll see this in the weeks to come, months to come, maybe years to come, whatever, whenever we get there, that God blesses you with more when you're faithful with with what you have. Quit praying, and I don't know who, who I'm talking to, but quit praying for more when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing with what you got. Because why would he give you more if you're not being faithful with what you got? We've got to understand that. And I think that this is a good, it's a good representation that Levi knows. At this point, I'm sure that, 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 um, in in, in my mind, I'm kind of running through a scenario. Well, it's kind of like taking a drug money and putting it to, to use in the church. Okay, that's bad money. You should never do that. Not that we have that. I mean, that would be awesome if somebody just kind of left a sack of money on, on the stoop, whatever. Um, but Levi is taken, no matter how he came, um, he came about all of his wealth, he's using that wealth for God now. We're going to see it also in a few weeks that Zacchaeus does a little bit of the same thing. You know, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man, Was he? Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. So, anyhow... So everything, this everything that we're going to talk that, that we're we're talking about here is what has identified um, Levi from the past. He no longer has that. He has, he has put that away. That is one of the hardest things for Christians to do because we read about it, we know about it, but we're like, when things get tough and when the devil starts hounding on us, well, what what do we end up doing? We try to reach back here and pick up who we used to be. What's the great theologian Elsa say? Let it go, let it go. Right, I got that right, Elsa? Okay. Seriously, we need to let the past be the past and move on, because that's where God wants us to be. It goes on to say, and by the way, uh, Jake's not in here, and I, I don't plan on going long, so. <clears throat> Never. Never. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Let's take a little bit of an off-ramp right here, an exit ramp, to talk about this for one quick second. Because what we have is Jesus has called these outcasts and said, okay, here, I want you to come to me. I want you to follow after me. He even goes and has lunch with them. He sits at table with them. And and understanding that sitting at table, and it's not bad grammar in here, sitting at table is is a specific thing. It's not sitting at the table. Sitting at table means that it's a fellowship, This goes way beyond what you're going to do after church today where you're going to go out and uh, go out to eat or you're going to go home, whatever. You're going to sit and you're just going to eat. A a meal at this time, sitting at table, it was a long, drawn-out thing. It symbolized a lot. It symbolized fellowship and unity and togetherness, and it symbolized a lot. So those, who, those in which um, you had lunch with, those who you were at table with, um, were normally those of the same social class. Those, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't venture out. It wouldn't be like, hey, there's a new guy in town. We're going to, hey, invite him over for dinner. You wouldn't do that because you didn't know his social, um, economic, or political, or religious standings or anything. This was a big to-do. So when they're saying these Pharisees, religious people are saying, well, this rabbi guy, this guy who is supposed to be this this teacher, he's eating with these tax collectors. These tax collectors and these sinners, there's something wrong with that guy. That, that was what was going on. That was the mindset in which, we, which these guys were, were, were seeing, or which, we, which uh, the, the, these religious people, were, they were actually acting upon. I think that this goes back to what they did just not too long ago when they saw the, the lame man rise and walk when he was healed. They're not looking at the, 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 the great miracle in which God has, has uh, performed. What they're looking at is, man, this is going to affect us well, if he's eating with these these guys, I'm I'm too holy to eat with these kinds of people. No one in here has ever had that thought. I'm too good for these, right? But now these Pharisees are having to face this this fear of my way of life is not going to be preserved for much longer. It goes on and it says here that Jesus responds to this hard-heartedness and he, he says these words that are just so beautiful, and sometimes we can just kind of forget what these mean. He says, I didn't come for y'all religious folks. <laughs> and that's where some people kind of get, well, wait a second, isn't, wasn't Jesus religious? No, actually Jesus came to break up religion. Je- religion is man's attempt to try to get to God. God came to us. You've heard me say it a billion times now. There's a billion and one. God doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. These religious people were, were, were saying, well, well, they can't come in. No, we can't have all of this. And Jesus is like, well, here's the deal. You self-righteous people, you all that think that your good works and your good deeds are going to get you into heaven, and because you can recite the first five books of the Bible, and because you wear nice clothes and you pray loud prayers, well, you already think you all got it all figured out. 'Cause I, I can't help you. Those who are sick, whoop I almost broke my leg. Those who are sick, those who are, are aware of their brokenness, Jesus is saying, those are the guys and gals I'm coming to save. So I'm, I'm standing here, and some of you thinking, well, you're very polemic in that. You're very one-sided in that. Well, here's the difference, or here's, a, here's the, the, the understanding that we have to have. Um, when Jesus comes and he is faced with all of these religious people, what we have to understand is until... We are unreligious or non-religious or whatever. We break out of this religious mold and know that it's only in Christ that we're going to be saved and it's only in Christ that we're going to be made clean and we're going to be restored like we talked last week. When only then, when we realize that we are broken and that we need fixed, that's when God's going to step in. Our society kills us because what happens is, oh, you're not really that bad. You just need a little help. No, you don't need a little help. You need saved. You need a savior to step in. Not just a little fixing up here and there. No, you were dead. You need to be brought back to life. Big difference here. I think that the reason why Jesus makes it perfectly clear, he says, I have not come to call the righteous... You self-righteous people, whoever, the the Pharisees, I haven't come to call you because you think you got it all figured out. I've come to call those who know that they're broken. And because they know that they're broken, what they need to do is they need to repent. Understanding what repentance is. It's turning from that sin and turning to God. It's not just asking God to be cool with the sin in which you're living in, preserving your life the way in which it is. Jesus says No. I've come to, to help those, to save those who know that they need saving. And I think that that's one of the big, the, the big um, faces or, or, or the, big, uh, the, the big obstacles in which we face today is when we face people that don't realize that they need saving. One of, there's a, some, a guy by the name of Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. We all know who Kirk Cameron is, Right? Growing pains? You're a little young. You probably wouldn't. Kirk Cameron? Whatever. Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron, they they, they um, do this thing called The Way of the Master. And they actually, uh, Ray Comfort wrote a book um, called uh, Hell's uh, Best Kept Secret. And, and, and what the, the whole premise of this book is, um, understanding that the people don't realize that they need saved. They just think that they just need help. They think that, and he uses an illustration that, like, that, uh, say you're on a plane and somebody comes up to you and hands you a parachute and says, here, put this parachute on. It's going to be, you know, uh, it, it'll, uh, uh, it'll, be, it'll be comfortable. It'll be cool. Everybody think you're, you're hip because you got this parachute on in it. You know, it may save your life here or there. I, I don't know, but just put this on. Well, what happens is that individual puts a, the parachute on and sitting in the seat and it's all uncomfortable and, you know, people are sitting and poking and laughing at them. And you finally, the, you know, you take the parachute off because, man, I don't want to deal with that. It's a lot different when somebody comes up to you, the stewardess comes up to you and say, here, put this on, because the plane's going down, and if you don't have this on, you're going to die. You're going to go up in flames. Well, then when we put that parachute on and we're sitting here, I don't care how, how uncomfortable it is, I don't care who says what about it, I know that my life depends upon that. That's that same understanding what we, when we face this world. I think that most of, the, of our world, they, they think, well, there's many ways to God. There's many ways in which we can get to heaven. Well, the problem is with, with that, you know what I always say. The problem is with that is the Bible. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man gets under, or comes under the Father but by me. I don't make that up. I just proclaim that. And what happens is people, that's that parachute. When we understand, when people understand, I need that parachute, and I need to put that on because that's the only way. We're going to be able to endure that, the, the, that grumbling, these grumblings in which are, are, are taking place here, that ridicule, all of that stuff that goes on. Well, that's not very tolerant. Well, okay, but it's the truth. Do you want tolerance or do you want truth? Me, at the end of the time, I, what I want is what God says. God says that we we'll all stand in front of him. And when we all stand in front of him, we're going to have to give an account. My account's going to be, I'm guilty, but because of him, point to Jesus. I'm innocent. That's what we have to understand, and that's what we need to proclaim. Here, the, the, these religious people, they didn't, they didn't understand that. They thought that the their religious acts is what had gave them the golden ticket into heaven. As we look through this, as... Um, we, we, we hear and we see that, 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 that Jesus, uh, he, he chooses uh, Levi, this outcast, and, and these people are, are grumbling. Um, he, he chooses him from the, the tax collector's booth, and we see that the reason that the people are grumbling is because he um, is now sitting at a table with them. This is where I want us to uh, draw our uh, big certainty that we're going to talk about for just a couple minutes. This draw, this big certainty that's going to impact our, our lives it, it, more than um, all the, 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 the other issues that we talked about today. The big certainty that we see is uh, Levi, the outcast, went from the booth and is now sitting at the table. So think about this, from the booth to the table. That's, that's where we need to be. we we need to understand that without Christ, we are Levi sitting in the booth. We're identified by all of this old stuff. But when Jesus comes by and he says, follow me, we go from being in the booth to sitting at table with him. Now, some of you are sitting here and like, okay, I got that. That, That's that that conversion. That's that regeneration where we go from being dead to alive. I, I get that preacher, just move on. Well, here's what we have to understand is we need to continually tell ourselves that every single day because what happens is we forget that we're at the table and we try to go back to the booth. Don't go back to the booth. You've left the booth. Even if you went back there, you can't get back in. Understand you're at the table. Understand that who's at the table with you. I, I love Revelation 19.9. Uh, it says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This understanding of this feast and this understanding of being at table with Jesus is not just something that happened uh, while Jesus was on earth. There is actually a, a major feast that's going to take place uh, when, we, uh, when this earth passes away. There's going to be a major feast in the, in the new heavens, in the new earth, where we're going to sit down with the lamb. And there's going to be whatever kind of food that you can think of. Me, I think there's going to be Texas Roadhouse rolls. I think there's going to be Five Guys cheeseburgers. Uh, I think there's going to be Chipotle bowls with black beans and guacamole. And um, what was I talking about? Oh, um, but it, this, this marriage supper. Those who are invited, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This imagery of Jesus sitting down and spending time with with outcasts here is just a foreshadowing of him sitting down and spending time with outcasts there, outcasts being his children. I love that as as we've seen this and we've seen this progression as Jesus is going on through his ministry here, we've seen last week that there was this huge experience, this huge healing. This week we see just a couple words, follow me. But what we have is even last week where these same Pharisees saw this major healing, The same result happens here. They still didn't have this this changing of heart. I I, I see also that Jesus uses uh, um, miracles and uses these experiences here to change trajectories of people's lives. But over here, he changes the trajectory of people's lives by mere words. So don't don't think that after last week, we have to, you know, God's got to move in a major way in my life for it to change a trajectory. No, he has to just speak into your life. Simple words. I, I love what, what Jesus tells um, uh, Thomas in, in uh, John chapter 20, uh, verse 29. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You don't have to have that warm, fuzzy feeling and have this emotional inception and have this moment to know that you're a child of God's. Or to know that God is real. No, what you have to do is you have to believe, not only believe God, you've heard me say this a, a hundred times, not just believe in God, but believe God, believe what he says. Because it's then, because we haven't seen him, it says that Jesus, Jesus tells us that we're gonna be blessed even more. And he looked, when he's looking at, at Thomas, and he's saying, Yeah, blessed because are those who have, uh, yeah, you've seen me, you're blessed. But those who hadn't seen me, those who are going to believe in me and have never laid, laid eyes on me, just wait for the blessings for them. Wait to see those blessings. This understanding this understanding of the, the, the booth and the understanding of the table and the understanding of what has taken place there, the, the scripture that, that just keeps pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding through my mind. Because remember, Levi couldn't go back to, to, to the booth. Even though if he tried, he couldn't go back. Even though when things got tough, even after Jesus was, was crucified, even after he was, they didn't know what was going on, he couldn't go back. Galatians 5.1 one. It's just, is one of those verses that just keeps being pounded in my head. Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's because of freedom. For freedom Christ has set us free. Since he set you free, don't submit again. Don't go back to the booth. Quit trying to go back to the booth. Live at the table. There's two types of people that are here today. There are those who are living in the booth. How about this? There's three types of people here. There are those who are living in, in the booth, and then there, there are those who are living at the table and don't realize they're at the table, and there are those who are at the table and are living as if they're at the table. What we want to do is we don't want to be those people. If you're the the, the person that's in the booth, understand that Jesus says, follow me. Understand that you can be set free from all of the the, the sin and the punishment and everything that goes along with that. And when you've been set free, you're at the table. But as you're at the table, do it like I tell my son. Act like you're at the table. No fart noises or real ones or burps or picking your nose or whatever, (laughs) right? Remember who's at the table, Act like you're at the table. Too many times, too many Christians, they forget that they're at the table. And when you forget that you're at the table, you forget that the presence in which you're in. Because Christ has set us free. And the reason he set us free, so we no longer have to go back to that yoke of slavery. We don't no longer have to be identified by what has happened in the past. We no longer have to hold on to all of that. What we have to do is we have to say, No, I'm at the table. Pass me the Texas Roadhouse rolls with that butter. Thank you, King Jesus. Thank you for inviting me to this supper. Let's pray. One of the biggest things I think that the, uh, the Pharisees got wrong was they, they, they thought that they had to get all of their, their stuff together to then come to God. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear. I'm calling you as you are. He's saying, come, come just as you are. I don't want the new and improved you because guess what? I'm going to make you new and improved. I don't want this, 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 this fake facade that you build up. I want you that, that is broken to say, man, I need you. Because it's only then that the God can mold us into who he wants us to be. I think that too often that we get up into that that, that, that mode and we, we think about all of the do's and the don'ts and the thou shalt nots and do, don't do this and do this and whatever, when we what we really need to think of is Jesus is just saying, follow me. Very simple, follow me. So what's going to happen here is we're, I'm going to do, um, we're going to do an old-fashioned uh, altar call um, where... If you're in the booth, not the sound booth in the back, but you understand, the tax booth. If you're in the booth and you're like, I want to get out of here. I want to follow after Jesus. If that's you, I want you to take that step and say, okay, I want to I get out. I don't even know what I need to do, but I just want to get out. There will be men and women up here that will be willing to say, okay, this is what you got to do and the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved it's following after him but then the rest of us who are not in the booth but are at the table that want to say no I want to, I'm not acting like I'm at the table altars open for those for those of you or those of us as well just to say God, I, I want to be at the table. I want to enjoy what you've given me. I want to enjoy this meal that you provided. One of my, my, my desires for us as a body is just to be real and to deal with things that need to be dealt with because we don't know what's going on in everybody's lives. But what we do know is we can't act like things don't exist. Problems aren't there. Remember those problems I told you at the beginning to kind of set aside? I'm not saying pick up those burdens and continue bearing them. What I want you to do is, as you've set them aside, ask God to help you be freed from those so they're no longer defining you, so you can address whatever needs to be addressed. Our Father God in heaven, Uh, Lord, we thank you. God, we love you. Lord, we ask as as we enter into this time uh, of worship, this time of reflection, this time that we're going to just come and cry out to you. My my, my prayer is that that we don't worry about what what other people think. Who cares who's grumbling? Let the religious people grumble. But but God, I want to be the one who's sitting at table enjoying you. Lord, let us enter into worship even deeper in these moments. God, we pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.